that's a growler. Welcome to Beauty and the Beastly Minute, the podcast where we break down and analyze Beauty and the Beast one boot-kicking minute at a time. I'm Bobby. And I'm Janae, and we are excited to have you here. Today, we once again have Rick and Julia with us from the Mad Max Minute. We are so glad to be back. Thanks for joining us again. We're just going to kick it off. Today, we are on Minute 18, where we start off with Gaston painting a beautiful picture for Belle about his latest kill roasting on the fire and ending with a mud-soaked Gaston tromping away from Belle's house. So, Julia and Rick, do you have any thoughts that you want to start out with today? Well, I just couldn't help but notice that he's able to get those boots off really easily, despite the size of his feet, and he has... Just alarmingly big feet. <laughs> well, I think it's more about the boots than about the feet because I I'm thinking about my boots of various styles and I can take them all off pretty quick. I think you're the only one, Rick, that I know who takes five <laughs> minutes to take off your boots. Okay. Now he's got tall boots. They go like pretty far up his calves there and he just kicks them off. I've never had boots that are that well-worn that you could just kick them right off. The boots that I wear, they're like lace-up boots, and so that's why it takes me forever. Like, he doesn't have zippers that he undoes on these things. He just, they slide right off, like almost like he's coated the inside with butter, which is absurd to think of. But, like, it's such a fluid motion that it's almost mind-boggling, and I have to remind myself this is animation and not real-world physics. (laughs) (laughs) Well... He, so if you look at his boots later on in this minute, I think, or the next minute. Yeah, no, it's this minute. His boots are rather droopy, for lack of a better word. Yeah, they flop right over. They flop right over. There's not a lot of structure to them. And the boots, I I have a pair of boots like that, where basically the part that's tight is the part that's around my heel and my foot. And the, what's it called? The top part of the boot that goes up the leg is just kind of hanging out it's not it's not like tight necessarily so if his boots are like that then it kind of makes sense that he just needs to get them over his heel and they'll just slip right off i would love a good pair of boots like that i i think i need to stand by my original statement that you rick are the only one that i know that has so much trouble digging up your boots <laughs> I'm I'm a man who appreciates good ankle support, and if that is a crime, then lock me up and throw away the key. That's a good point. Gaston's boots offer him zero support. This is a good point. Well, I had a thought on this, because he, he takes off his boots, and you see that his socks, one of them has a big hole in it, and so that got me thinking that he puts on this, this facade of looking really nice, but underneath, he doesn't really care you know, what's down there. He doesn't take care of himself as well as he'd like people to think. And maybe he's not as well off as he'd like people to think because he's got his holy socks and his boots that are probably a little more worn um, than they should be because they're not offering that support. So uh, maybe that's just part of who he is, that he he tries to show himself as better than than what he is. And really, uh, he doesn't take care of himself as well as he wants people to think. I appreciate you bringing that up, Bobby, because as he's painting this picture for Belle, he talks about, you know, hunting lodge, 
fresh kill, feet getting massaged, and the kids and dogs running around. And he mentions that they want to have like six or seven kids or something like that. And it's all very, <laughs> it's all very nice up well in front. But at the same time, you know, let's say he's the town game warden and he subsists off of some sort of public trust or taxes that collects from the locals. And he expects to be able to support a family of eight on, you know, public servant income. Like, that's, Mm -hmm. you know, asking a lot, I would say, of a small French village in the middle of nowhere. I feel like he doesn't have very good future financial planning. And going off the top of that, like, being the game warden for a small town like that, that's a very hazardous occupation. If he should get, like mauled by a bear or attacked by a pack of wolves and he can't work anymore and he loses that financial stability, like he's going to be very frustrated. He's got a fragile ego. He's not going to be able to support his family. That's going to be a stressful home. And I feel like he is the kind of person where if they were in that situation, six or seven kids running around, Bell's going to be at his throat trying to get help for the family. He's going to be really agitated, and he's probably going to take out all his frustration on Bell, and we'd have a domestic assault uh, situation on our hands. It's just not good for anybody. I hadn't even thought of that, but that is so wow. true. Wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's really that's sad. That's, like, <laughs> actually f- probably really accurate, though. Yeah. Like, this is not going to ever be a healthy relationship. I actually, in my notes, made the same point further down in this minute. That he has the potential to be abusive, and he shows signs of it by the end of this minute. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And throughout the movie, he shows signs of being abusive in various ways. I don't think that Gaston knows how babies work. (laughs) Because he seems to think... That he can produce six or seven boys and only boys. When in reality, if you want six or seven boys, he's gonna have to have like, I don't know, maybe 13 to 15 kids to get his six or seven boys. Yeah. And I mean, that's not even factoring the fact that half of them are probably gonna die in childbirth right. if Bell doesn't b- die right. in childbirth. Right. Like, this is, you know. Pre-modern medicine. These things happen. Well, I thought it was really interesting that she, I mean, this isn't completely related, but kind of, she is responding to his presumptuousness that, I mean, he's basically just laying out this view of how their life is going to be. And he's so presumptuous and he's like, yeah, we'll have six or seven. And she actually responds with an honest question. Dogs? (laughs) Dogs? It's like context would dictate one or the other, and he did not do a good job of explaining which. I mean, it's an honest question, but I thought it was hilarious that she's, like, falling along, and she's not buying any of it, but at the same time, she, like, gets tripped up in this moment of, wait, are we talking about seven kids or seven dogs? (laughs) Even though she's not, like, going to do it at all. And then I just was like, no, Belle, strapping boys like him, come on, keep up. But I just, and his face when he responds is just complete disbelief that she would think that they could possibly have seven dogs. How could she not know that he meant boys? I mean, like, it's just hilarious to me. Oh, my goodness. At this point, he still hasn't even said that it's Belle he wants to marry. He's just painting this picture before declaring to her that she is going to be his little wife. Yeah. There's a cart here, and the horse is, you know, 
not where it should be. He does say when he walks in that today is the dr- day that all your dreams come true, and then he starts to paint the picture. So, I mean, there is, if she is as smart as she should be from reading all those books, you would think she would be able to gather the context of where he's going. And I think she, I think she does. Yeah. And I, I think her, her asking questions like, oh, whoever could you mean? I think that's her just stalling (laughs) Yeah, for, for time to figure out. How to, because she keeps... How to extricate herself from the situation. Yes, which is very successful because they're moving around the room. Like, she's moving away from him and he keeps cornering her. She ducks out. It's They do this dance around Mm -hmm. the room and she's stalling for time. Sounding a little dumb, right? but I don't think that's the case. I have to say, it's really during this little dance around the room that things start to get, like... Really, um, um, yeah, really Gaston's problematic. Not being cool. Like he pit, <sighs> he puts his arms up around her when she's in the corner, and she ducks out, and she kind of puts a chair between her and him. Uh-huh. And as he walks across the room, I swear he he yeah. just knocks over the chair. He could yeah, walk like around that chair. Like he doesn't throw it; he only pushes it. But at the same time, you know, it's a really aggressive move. Indicators, red flags. Yeah, red <laughs> run away, yeah. run away. <laughs> <laughs> red flags. Buy your red flags here. Red flags for sale. Well, okay. One of the questions that came up to me in my mind as I was watching this was, how old is Gaston? Because we've talked about how old Belle is. She's um, supposed to be about 17. But how old is he? Because he definitely, to me, looks older than 17. Mm. Oh, for sure. I, <laughs> I mean... Would he's guess. not an old man, but he's definitely significantly older than her, I would think. I would guess he's at least yeah. what, 25? Yeah. Mid-20s. Yeah. Yeah. That would make sense. I have a note here about Disney proportions. And it's not mm. just Disney. A lot of animation <laughs> studios do this, where the men are ginormous uh-huh. and the women are tiny. <laughs> And most of I just I just kind of ignore it because that's just the way it is, and that's fine. But in this scene, they really use that disproportion to their advantage in directing this scene and the, this dance that they do around the room. His size is really he is taking up the entire room, and when he's got his hands up on the wall, pinning her in, cornering her, he's like completely enveloped her like a cage. Without even having to touch her. When he has his hands up to each side of her at the door as well, his hands are huge. They are literally bigger than her head. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I I just... It's huge. (laughs) Huge hands. (laughs) (laughs) They look like big, strong hands. (laughs) Oh, wait, no. That's for never-ending story minute. Never mind. One thing's for sure, the front door opening outwards is a huge advantage in this specific situation. Yes. That's probably why they made it open outwards in reality. When it comes down to the animation stuff, I would think that's probably why they were like, they were like, okay, we want to have this bit, so the door needs well, to open out. Well, I was listening to the, to the commentary on the movie, and that's one of the things that they mentioned, and that you can tell in this minute, is that, you know, she opens the door outward, and he flies out there, but then 
when she goes to throw his boots out, it opens inwards. So it's a it's a double hinged door that uh, that they created to yeah. make the scene work. Okay. Well, they didn't create it. It just uh-huh. it has to be a double hinged door. <laughs> <laughs> Which Maurice invented, I'm sure. Yeah, that that makes sense. I guess. Right. <laughs> oh, of course. <laughs> um, I I do love because I was thinking about okay, how do I balance this? politeness that she has and this like inability to like really express what she's thinking and feeling to him to get him out of her space with who she is and her book reading and all those things and i did kind of i think she rather is more like you said earlier julia being smart with her words she's i mean he asks if she'll marry him and instead of just responding no she says I'm speechless. And then she's like, I don't know what to say. And in the end, her dismissal of his proposal is, I just don't deserve you, which is a very subtle and in a way kind way of saying no. But I thought it was interesting that she took the effort and the time to weave those words into a kind way to say no, if that makes any sense. I find it kind of interesting that Belle never uses the word no. And I feel like she's able to, you know, get a sense for Gaston's fragile ego because, and this is really chilling to consider because we're watching a kid's movie, but if she had just out and out told him no, and he took that as a direct attack Mm -hmm. on his ego, I could see him, you know, flying into you know, almost a rage, kind of like uh, you see pictures on social media of texting conversations between women and the men that are texting them, where as soon as those women say no, those men flip on a dime and just start saying the most vile and hurtful mm-hmm. things just to try and hurt that woman that rejected them. And I kind of see Gaston going that same direction. So I can appreciate Belle, you know, tiptoeing around the subject just to keep from setting him mm-hmm. off. Yes. And she does, she gets him out of the house, which I think is the important part because he does flip. You know, once he gets out of the mud, he says, um, pretty much I'm going to marry her no matter what it takes. And he's very angry and it's very, it comes off very threatening. Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting. The words I think he says is I'll make bell my wife. Make no mistake about that, which is very much, I'm going to make her my wife. She doesn't have a choice in the matter. Yes. So I think it was really important that Belle get him out of the house. Because if he had been that angry and still inside the house behind a closed door, yeah, not a safe situation for Belle. I think it's interesting that so he gets angry. He gets thrown out the door and ends up in this puddle, which we in previous minutes have discussed. We're not exactly sure how that mud pond ends up right outside her door but <laughs> regardless of that <laughs> um, I'm gonna say it's probably related to that water wheel that Maurice set up that seems to pull yeah. water from nowhere and go over the water wheel to <laughs> nowhere. seemingly nowhere <laughs> there's probably a little bit of localized flooding that produced that mud hole so um I think it's interesting that he ends up in this little pond puddle mud thing with a pig and LeFou just has you see LeFou with this blissfully ignorant moment just conducting the music (laughs) (laughs) 
And he's just like happy and connected to music and knows that everything's great. And then all of a sudden he turns around and sees that he's in the mud and he's like, oh, huh, wait, what? <laughs> and then he's like, how'd it go? All like happy. And it's like, uh, do you have any social cues? I don't know. Because obviously it didn't go very well if he's in the mud. But yeah. I thought that was... And then he isn't... I thought the another thing about LeFou was that he didn't seem to be too phased by Gaston being mad at him and tossing him in the mud as well. Did you guys get that vibe? Well, yeah, I had a thought about that, that he already knows, you know, he is Gaston's punching bag. That's basically his role as a sidekick. So I think he knows that Gaston is mad and he, he knows that he's going to be punished for it. So I kind of feel like he's taking a little quip at Gaston, you know, this is one of the few opportunities he has to make fun of him, kind of, but he can't do it, obviously. So he says, you know, how did it go? As if I can't tell because you're in the mud out here. So I think he's trying to, to get in his punches where he can under the belt. Um, and he's going to get punished. You know, he's going to get beat up no matter what. Yeah. I got to say, when you consider it that way, LeFou is pretty much doing a really good public service in making sure that Gaston directs all of his aggression in very specific areas. Like <laughs> LeFou follows Gaston around, collects his kill, encourages him to kill animals <laughs> and not kill people. He encourages Gaston to take out Gaston's aggression on himself instead of other townspeople. Huh. So LeFou, maybe not so LeFoulish after all <laughs> in trying to direct this wild card into not burning everything down well yeah i mean he just isn't phased at all he's like oh he's touchy and then he's like but it doesn't affect me and sits there with the pig i mean i just was kind of impressed in a way by that that he has enough self-esteem in a way that this other person's anger and aggression being taken out on him isn't affecting him so and anyway here at the end we have more Blue, angry eyes. You know, it's funny. Gaston is so full of himself, I'm surprised his eyes are blue or instead of being brown like you would think. (laughs) But one thing I like about this parting shot is they kind of give the wedding march a little bit of a sinister treatment. Mm. Like it goes dark a little bit there as he's storming off. Mm -hmm. Cutting back to the mud scene really quick. This was, as a kid, this was one of my favorite moments because the way they... They pop the pig's head up out of the mud. The, the pig's head is Gaston's head. Uh-huh. And I always loved that, that Gaston is a pig. And we are being told point blank that Gaston is a pig. <laughs> yeah. With his bum sticking up in the air. And then up comes yeah. the pig head. <laughs> and the pig is just like, what? Whoa. <laughs> I love this movie. Does anyone else have any other last comments about this minute before we close up? Gaston Mm -hmm. in this minute where he is so dead set on having Belle for his wife. Did you get a little bit of an Immortan Joe vibe? The whole idea that he's going to snatch up these beautiful women to be his property, to breed him sons, to follow in his footsteps? Because I kind of got that feeling, that parallel there. Yes. And I think that's a, a theme throughout cinema. I think it's I think it's a stereotype of both men and women that men want to gather up beautiful women and have sons and women, you know, and the stereotype that women are only for gathering up and providing sons. So 
media complains a lot about how women are stereotyped, but men are also stereotyped. Yeah. Most men in real life don't behave this way. They don't purposefully go after, after only the most beautiful woman, regardless of personality or feelings, just so that she can provide him with sons. That's just not normal behavior. So it's, it's definitely a trope. I mean, certainly not normal, well. but definitely seen in reality. I think the important thing that I, the important distinction that I drew between here is that Gaston is more concerned about how he appears to the community and how his posterity is carried out than he is for the welfare of Belle. And I think that's one of the big things that turns her off to him is that she's able to realize that it's all about him and he could never truly care for her because all he cares about is his image and his legacy. Right. And that if he could, you know, have multiple wives and lock them up in a giant vault inside a citadel, you know, he probably would, you know, stick Gaston in a post-apocalypse and he could probably would become an, Amor- an Immortan Joe type. If Gaston hadn't been like that, this pro- story probably wouldn't have even happened. She never would have gone to the castle. She would have, if he had been a good guy who cared more about her than about all of these things that are these stereotypes that you're talking about, would have been a completely different story. Yeah, it's always interesting to play the what if game. Like, what if Gaston was the kind of person that could actually care about Belle's interests and her concerns? Because they might have actually been able to strike up a friendship and maybe even a budding romance. This movie could have been more of a love triangle instead of a mm-hmm. um, romantic rivalry. I'm not sure exactly what to classify it as. But if Belle and Gaston were actually like friendly with each other, then, you know, suddenly Belle's father goes missing. He's probably concerned, goes off in one direction. She doesn't want to sit there feeling useless. So she goes off in the other direction. Suddenly she meets the beast. She starts getting interested in him. And then there's this whole thing where now it's not so much Gaston and Beast fighting physically, but it's also like an emotional thing. It, it there's a lot that it could have been, is what Rick, I'm getting at. Rick. <laughs> there's a whole other version of this movie. <laughs> I, I got to put the brakes on right there. That would have been really interesting. We don't need another young adult love triangle book out there. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, we don't. The The last thing that I had that, we just, that I just thought of as we were talking here is something that's been bugging me. Uh, since we met LeFou. And I know he's a very clownish character and he's supposed to be the fool, but his face has just bugged me so much because it's so much more cartoony than anybody else we see. Got the big like clown nose and the goofy yeah. features. And so that's just been like in the back of my mind bugging me that he's the only person we see like that. But as we were talking during this minute, I kind of had the, the, the sad realization that maybe his face is that way because he gets hit in the face so much, because he's been beaten so much by Gaston that, you know, his nose and his face is permanently Aww. disfigured. Um, <sighs> and it's just beating after beating we see in this movie that he takes right to the oh. face. So, sad thought. Oh, that is sad. I had never thought of that. Also, I'm convinced he's a midget. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> And here is the, let's say, this is the dark side of doing a minute-by-minute podcast. (laughs) Sometimes, you know, the dark details just crawl out of the woodwork. (laughs) Okay, so with that, we're going to wrap up this episode. 
Thank you so much, Rick and Julia, for coming on and for joining us this week. We've got you for a couple more days, so we're excited about that. Where can people go if they would like to get a hold of you or listen to your podcast? So if people want to check out our podcast, they can go to our website, which is madmaxminute.com. They could look us up on Twitter at MadMaxMinute. They can like us on Facebook and even join our listeners page, which is Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone. Awesome. And if you would like to get in touch with myself or Bobby, you can reach us at growlermedia.com. You can also like our page on Facebook. We are at Beastly Minute and it's the same on Twitter, at Beastly Minute. So you can get a hold of us that way. And thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you going through this movie with us and we hope that you're enjoying all of our insights, thoughts, and theories about this movie that we love and adore. Come back tomorrow and uh, join us for Minute 19. We'll be here. Make no mistake about that. Our theme music is by Duo Hansen. Pre-modern medicine. They look like big strong hands.